Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message. Keep chatting. Keep mingling. I love it. Heather. Ah, it's okay. Well, good morning. How is everyone? Chatty crew. I love it. I love it. Well, my name is Emily, and I'm on the preaching team here at the Vineyard. And if you want to know why, come to Newcomer's Lunch, and Adam will tell you why. Uh, <laughs> all right. We are on our second week of a series going through the book of Ruth. How many of you this week maybe took some time to read a little bit more of Ruth? Anybody? challenge accepted. You should do that this week. Uh, it's so short. It's four chapters, but it's packed full with such a beautiful story uh, of Ruth and Naomi and their dead husbands and one person that we are going to meet today. Um, so the two things that I took away from last week's message was this. One, and this is a theme running all throughout the book of Ruth, is that you can always go home. And the second thing that I took from last week's message was the names that you give yourself in your lowest season of life when you are like in the dirt are not actually true of who you are. Are. Did that resonate with anybody else last week? It was such a good word. Uh, so I think the Lord has good news for us today as well. Uh, when I sat down to start preparing, uh, I started reading through this chapter and I thought, oh, I know this. I know this story. So I grew up in church and here's the thing that, um, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do this right. Women of a certain age, who were teenagers uh, growing up in church, and I, I asked a few friends as well, and this was also their experience. Lena knows where I'm going with this. Um, we were always taught to find our Boaz, right? Does anybody remember being told this? Wait for your Boaz. So when I sat down to start preparing this week, I thought, well, I know what I'm not speaking about. That's, that's not where we're going with this message today at all. Uh, and I do just want to give this little caveat as well. Uh, maybe more so than usual sermons, I ask a lot of questions for us to reflect on today. So at the very, very end, I have a slide that has all the questions on it, and you can take out your phone and take a picture of it, and that can be your homework for the week. And you'll do it, right? Your homework? Well, there's a quiz next week, so be prepared. All right, let's meet Boaz. Let's go ahead. Uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Here we go. There was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, 
she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. All right, we'll stop there for just a minute. Uh, we, we learned last week um, the meaning of these characters' names. So uh, today I just want to share with you that Boaz's name means strength or strong. Uh, I picture like somebody who's standing firm and you can't knock him over. That's Boaz. Uh, and we see in these first couple of verses, he is wealthy. He's influential. Uh, other translations say he's a man of good standing. Okay. Um, he's a landowner. It's important. And he employs people. So these are things that mattered then and that would be indicators of strength. And if we're honest, they kind of matter even now, you know, uh, indicators of strength. What I want us to think about as we dig into the rest of this chapter together uh, is the ways in which Boaz is actually strong. Don't look like ways that could be common on the surface. In fact, a lot of Boaz's strength comes from the inside, from his strength of character as well. And this is not... Uh, just a theme from the book of Ruth. This is a theme that we find literally everywhere in the Bible. God is always reversing logic. So um, just for just some examples, who does God choose to be his like set apart holy nation? Israel, right? Uh, and at that time, they were a group of slaves, who had no freedom or autonomy over themselves at all. Uh, who does he choose to go to Pharaoh on their behalf? This is Bible trivia night or day at, at church. Moses, right? And Moses described himself as being slow of speech and tongue, which means he didn't talk good. So is that who you would choose? No, I would want somebody who could get the job done by speaking to the very powerful, important man. Uh, when God sends Jesus to earth, does he send him as a mighty warrior? No, he sends him as a wee, wee, frail baby. We could go on and on, but suffice it to say, God has a way of doing things. And that way usually is the exact opposite of what logic would say to do. And we're going to see that throughout the story of Ruth. And something else that I want us to notice today as we learn about Boaz and then we go uh, throughout the rest of this series is that Boaz is a prophetic symbol of the one who is to come. Uh, one article I read this week referred to Jesus as being a true and greater Boaz. So as we learn more about him, think about all the ways that we see these very same things offered to us through Jesus. All right, so the first thing I'm going to talk about is generosity. Uh, Ruth goes out to a field, and she is essentially picking up scraps, right? Uh, 
and that's where we're going to talk about in just a minute. But let's read the next slide. We're going to read verses 8 through 13. So here's the rest of the story. Ruth goes out to the field. She's following behind the harvesters. She's picking up scraps. Boaz arrives, and he sees her, and he's like, who is this? Uh, and then he talks to his foreman. The foreman says, oh, she's here. She's picking up scraps. She's been working super, super hard. Uh, you know, we've let her do it. So here's what Boaz says. He goes over to her, and he says to Ruth, listen, my daughter. Stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other field. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See, see which part of the field they're harvesting and then follow them. I've warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. And Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness? She asked. I'm only a foreigner. And Boaz replies, yes, I know, but I also know about everything you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. All right, word has gotten around, right, about Ruth. I've heard how you left your father and your mother in your own land to live here among complete strangers. So may the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. And Ruth says, I hope I continue to please you, sir. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I'm not one of your workers. I think this is just such a beautiful scene, if you imagine it in your head. Um, Boaz didn't just do the bare minimum for Ruth. He dealt generously with her. He was true to his name strength. Uh, and he did that not by keeping what he had in order to build himself up, but by being open-handed and generous with somebody who could not be open-handed and generous back. I think it was a scarcity mindset that this, this book starts off with. You know, Elimelech uh, leaves home in search of food in chapter one, uh, and I think I probably would have too. If where you're living has no food and you hear that somewhere else has food, what are you going to do? You're going to go to where the food is. Um, but here's what I also know is that scarcity mindsets tend to breed captivity. Uh, okay, we're going to do a little detour now into the Old Testament. Are you guys ready? It'll be fun. All right. Um, in one of my classes this week, we started talking about like how the nation of Israel even became uh, enslaved in Egypt in the first place. Uh, and it's all because one man, Pharaoh, uh, ruled out of a posture of anxiety, resource hoarding, and immense greed, right? He had food, other people needed it. Was he gonna give it away? No. In fact, he was gonna make them pay. And year after year, as they came back for more, they could pay less and less and less until what? What did they have to offer for payment? But themselves. That's all they had left. So they offered their very bodies as payment and became slaves to the anxiety and greed of one very powerful man. And after the exodus, 
after God brings them up out of that captivity, he wants to teach them a new way of going about their life, a new way of living. And that includes a new way of being around other people. Let's bring up Deuteronomy 24. So here's the command that Yahweh has given them. When you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, don't go back to get it. Hmm. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord, your God, may bless you in all the work of your hands. Was Ruth a foreigner? Uh, Had she left her father? Was she a widow? And then verse 22 says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that is why I command you to do this. See, the command for Israel after leaving Egypt was to take care of people like Ruth. People just like Ruth. And notice in this passage, they are commanded to remember something, but it's not the harvest that they dropped. They're commanded to remember their former condition as people who were slaves and as people who are now not slaves. In the Old Testament, God is always commanding Israel to remember where they came from and to remember that he doesn't operate like that anymore. So what that means for us this morning is that Boaz was someone who was not just meeting the minimum requirements of the law. He was going well beyond it. Let's read some more in verse 14. So at mealtime, Boaz called to her, come over here, help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. I don't think I want to eat that, by the way, but okay. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. So she sat with his harvesters and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. I'll probably eat that. Uh, She ate all she wanted. She still had some left over. When Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her. And actually pull out some heads of barley from the bundles, drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up. And I love this part too. Don't give her a hard time. Just let her have it. So in this passage, I see Boaz doing several things. He's inviting Ruth. He's serving her. And she is then able to eat until she is full. And if you read this with any amount of imagination, the next thing I wondered was, I wonder when the last time was that she was able to do that, to eat until she was full. And not only that, but he instructs his harvesters to intentionally drop more than what they would have and just let her have it. Uh, We're seeing that Boaz is someone who had let the reason for that command in Deuteronomy to go down deep and to inform the person that he was. Seems like it wasn't his own strength that he relied on but the Lord's. So two things for us 
uh, when it comes to generosity today. One, if, if Boaz is a prophetic symbol of what Jesus is like, then I would just encourage us to spend some time maybe this week thinking about how he has been generous to you in your life. Where has Jesus invited you? Uh, What are some ways that Jesus has served you? And then the next question is, when is the last time you allowed him to? When is the last time you sat at his table and ate until you were full? I can tend to get stuck in this dualistic mindset. So on the one hand, I come to church, I pray, I worship and read my Bible and sing and do all the church things. Okay, so this is church things category. But then I'm also going to handle my things over here. I'm going to just figure it out. Uh, I was doing spiritual direction this week, and I was talking about something that made me feel very frustrated and I had questions about with my spiritual director, and I was just blah, 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 blah. And then afterwards I said, I don't know, I'll just figure it out. And she drew my attention to where that, that's crazy talk uh, when it comes to living a life with God, right? Uh, I'll figure it out is fine, but receiving generosity from the Lord is what actually requires a response from us. We can live our whole life, I'll figure it out, it'll be fine. Yeah, I'll come to church and sing, and then I'll go figure it out. But you don't have to live that way. Now, sometimes it can be hard. Uh, Sometimes the generosity of the Lord comes to us in ways that make it hard for us to respond. And here's why. Uh, If you'll recall last week when Adam introduced this series, one of the first things he said was that God is barely mentioned in this book. Um, And he's definitely not like overtly sending plagues and fire and, you know, no. He's barely mentioned in the book, and yet his invisible hand or his invisible activity is going all throughout uh, these characters' lives. And one of the articles that I read this week said this, throughout this chapter, God's activity is visible only through the activities of the characters. So more often than not, The generosity of God comes to us, not through the sheer strength of his will, but in a reversal of logic, through the characters that are in our lives, through the people that are in our lives, for better or worse. Have you ever described somebody as a real character? Is that a good thing? Well, that person could actually bless you. So generosity requires response, but I also don't want us to miss the second point, that God does not deal generously with us only to have us turn around and be stingy and greedy with other people. In first service, I said, be a selfish jerk (laughs) with others. So how do we meet our neighbors in the community around us? How do you encounter other people? Uh, Also, another question to think about, 
what has been entrusted to you? What have you been working to cultivate? And have you been generous with it? And I'm not even talking about money. I'm actually not. There are a myriad of ways that we can be generous in our lives, and it's my prayer that the Lord would give me an imagination for what that looks like for me. Yeah. So there are people in this very room who need a touch from the Lord, who could use a healing prayer or for somebody to um, help meet a need, and it's going to come through a person. Are you a person? Yes or no? Yeah. Yeah. Well, then it could come from you. Yeah. All right. The next thing that I see in this uh, little story here in chapter two is that two times uh, Ruth is urged to stay in Boaz's field. We read it in verse eight. And then we're going to see it again here in just a moment. So Ruth gets back from the fields. She brings her basket of grain and it's overflowing. Like she has more than enough. She's got um, a carryout box for Naomi from lunch. Uh, And then let's read verse 19. Naomi says, where did you gather all this grain today? Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she had worked. She said, the man I worked with today was named Boaz. Well, may the Lord bless him, Naomi told her. He is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. You see, that man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Then Ruth said, well, get a load of this. Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the entire harvest is completed. Naomi says, good, do as he says. Uh, Stay with his young women right there through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields, but you'll be safe with him. So Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's fields. She gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest Then she continued working with them through the wheat harvest in early summer. And all the while, she lived with her mother-in-law. And that's how Ruth chapter 2 ends. Okay, So, if Boaz and Naomi, who know the area, who are native to that land and culture, if they both urge Ruth, who we are reminded all the time is a foreigner, a vulnerable woman, to stay in Boaz's field, I'm going to assume that nothing good is waiting for Ruth anywhere else. Could we make that assumption? I think that's safe to bet. Yeah. Okay. I think, first of all, this shows us the depth of Ruth and Naomi's desperation um, for her to even go out and glean. I mean, thank goodness this invisible hand of the Lord was protecting her was keeping her safe. This could have been a story with a very different ending. But then for her to wind up in the field of the very person who could actually save her and her whole family and her whole situation, do we see the invisible hand of the Lord working all throughout Ruth's story? So we have a saying in the vineyard that faith is spelled what? Anybody know it? Say it louder. 
R-I-S-K, risk. And I just want to say that I believe this with all my heart. And I think we're going to talk even more about that as we progress through this series. Faith is spelled risk, and yet it's also good to not be an idiot. Okay? Can we balance the two? I think so. Uh, Ruth's act of going out into the fields, uh, not knowing where she was going to land, it was risky and it was a good thing. It was an act of faith. Uh, But Ruth listening to the wise counsel of Boaz and Naomi and staying put, was that also a wise thing? Yes. Uh, A prayer for myself, and I think I'm I'm just going to start making this a prayer for the church, is that God helps us be able to live a life of both and. Risk and wisdom to know when the risk has paid off. You don't have to keep hopping around to other fields. Uh, and so today, my, my last question is, whose field are you in? Now, this is a metaphor. Sometimes I get frustrated with metaphors. So I'm going to even put some parameters on it to help you like really understand what I'm asking. Uh, here's my guess. My guess is that any other field other than the Lord's, is going to be characterized by a couple things, like across the board. One, any other field is going to ingrain in us, no pun intended, ingrain, get it? Is going to ingrain in us a scarcity mindset that chips away at any ability we have to be generous to others around us. That's the first one. Number two, uh, it's going to be a field that you are not easily free to come and go from. Uh, I'll use an example from my own life. I have had seasons where I have been so bogged down by anxiety. Okay, we'll call it the anxious field. I don't want to be in that field. Nobody wants, to, nobody wants to be in that field, and yet I cannot seem to get out of it. It is not the field that's best for me. It is not what the Lord has for me, and yet I can't, I can't leave. So whether it's by choice, by addiction, or force, you're just feeling stuck. And the difference is, in Boaz's field, you want to be there. In the Lord's field, you want to be there. In any other field, it's really hard to leave, but you want to. Uh, And the last one is the owner of that field is going to look more like Pharaoh and less like Boaz. The owner of that field is going to look more like Pharaoh, who rules with anxiety and greed, and less like Boaz, who meets Ruth with an open hand of generosity. So I think these points are true. And if we go back to the original question, um, now that I've put a few details around it, whose field are you in? Whose field are you working in? We're all working somewhere. Whose field are you working in? Is it a field where the burden is light? 
And if it's not, how do you get back to the Lord's field? And the good news for us today is this. He doesn't make it hard. He does not make this difficult for us. Just turn around. We just turn around. Like Adam preached last week, we can always go home. We can always head to the Lord's field if we find ourselves not in it. So Boaz is the ultimate uh, generosity in this story. Jesus is the one who shows us the ultimate generosity in our story by sacrificing his very body for us and inviting us in to the work he's doing. All right, uh, Seth, could you put up the last slide? Here's the questions that I asked today. Here's things that you can reflect on this week. Maybe read back through Ruth 2 and then reflect on these questions. How has God dealt generously with you in the past? Just think about where you've been and what he's brought you out of. How has God dealt generously with you in the past? When was the last time that you've responded to his generosity? How do you meet your neighbors and what has been entrusted to you? Are you being generous with it? So in a reversal of responding to generosity, how are you being generous with what you have? And also, what's your reason for being generous? Is it because you remember where you came from? Or is it because it's like, God told me to do it, you know? It's because I go to church, I'm generous. Well, that's great, but do you remember where you came from? And the last question, whose field are you working in? And if it's not the Lord, um, how can you get back? And the reason I ask that how can you get back question is I actually think it's really practical. Like a lot of this, you know, is metaphor, whose field are you working in? But honestly, like if you're way down in a field of anxiety or addiction, you actually need like real life practical things to help you come out of it. So it's not just like, I'm going to pray. That is good. But also, do you have people walking with you? Do you need to go to counseling? Like, do you need to talk to somebody? You know, these are practical things we can do when we realize the field we have been working in is not the Lord's. So, all right. Worship team, you can come back up. And as they come back up, we're going to stand. We're going to sing one last song together. Uh, if you feel like you'd like to respond to anything from uh, anything today, from the message, from worship, if something has happened this week and you would just love for somebody to like pray about it with you, if you're sick, uh, if you need healing in your body, or any other reason that you might want prayer, we'll have a ministry team right here after this song, um, and they would be happy to pray with you. All right. Lord, we just want to thank you for this picture of generosity in our story today. Thank you that you have dealt so generously with us in the past, and that through the promise of Jesus, we know you will continue to deal generously with all of us. 
please remind us of what you've done. Remind us of where we've been and remind us of how far you have brought us. And Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here who is working in a field that is not the Lord's, uh, you would begin to wake them up to that fact. Sometimes we just don't know. That you would begin to wake them up to it, and that you would help them see the path back to the Lord's field where they are safe, where they are provided for and taken care of. Jesus, thank you that we can always come home that you have given us a standing invitation. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.